Hey, I'm Gretchen Bridgers of the Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Lee Matthew Goldberg. That's right. He's back on the show. He's the author of uh, several novels, The Desire Card, The Mentor, Slow Down, and The Ancestor, which you can hear us talk about on episode 325 of this podcast. That's right. And now he's got his latest. It's a sci-fi novel. It's called Orange City. Oh, you're going to love this discussion. You're going to love this book. Thanks for listening. Oh, by the way, it would be so awesome if you opened that podcast app that you're listening to me on and went in there and rated and reviewed the the, the episode and the podcast itself. Could you do that for me? Would you? Could you please? <laughs> Enjoy. Wouldn't it be great to have a day to renew, rethink, and reboot in these unprecedented times? That's the mission of the Impact Summit. This will be a moving forward, next day, implementable, every learner can be successful kind of day. Register your team today at impacteducationsummit.com. The date, June 23rd. The organizer is Susie Pepper Rollins, three-time author and national presenter. Just head to impacteducationsummit.com for details. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Lee Matthew Goldberg is the author of the novels, The Desire Card, The Mentor, Slow Down, The Ancestor, which you can hear us talk about on episode 325 of this podcast, and now his latest, Orange City. Lee also has a YA series called Runaway Train coming out this May. Uh, It's a first book in a trilogy. He's been published in multiple languages and nominated for the 2018 Prix du Polar. His pilots and screenplays have been finalists in Script Pipeline, Book Pipeline, Stage 32, We Screenplay, The New York Screenplay, Screencraft, and The Hollywood Screenplay Contest. After graduating with an MFA from the new school, his writing has also appeared in the anthology Dirty Boulevard, The Millions, Kajibi, The Montreal Review, The Adirondack Review, The New Plains Review, Underwood Press, and others. He is a co-curator of the Gorilla Lit Reading Series and lives in New York City. Here's a little sneak peek at his latest novel, Orange City. Imagine a secret, hidden city that gives a second chance at life for those selected to come. Felons, deformed outcasts, those on the fringe of the outside world. Everyone gets a job, a place to live. But you are bound to the city forever. You can never leave. Its citizens are ruled by a monstrous figure called the man, who resembles a giant demented spider from the lifelike robotic limbs attached to his body. Everyone follows the man blindly, working hard to make their promised land stronger, too scared to defy him and be discarded to the empty zones. After 10 years as an advertising executive, Grand Weatherin receives an order to test a new client, Pow Sodas. After one sip of the orange flavor, he becomes addicted, the sodas causing wild mood swings that finally wake him up to the prison he calls reality. A dynamic mashup of 1984 meets Lost. Orange City is a lurid, dystopian first book in a series that will continue with the explosive sequel, Lemon World. According to Raymond A. Villarreal, author of uh, People's History of the Vampire Uprising, Orange City is a unique dystopian thriller that manages to reveal our greatest fears about emerging technology and our anxieties at what the future holds. Lee, it's awesome to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining me. Say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. Uh, and thanks so much for having me again, Stephen. I had a blast doing it the last time. 
Well, I appreciate you coming back on. I, and I've read Orange City, and it's awesome, and, and I love it. And uh, we're going to get into this because it's a lot different than the previous book. <laughs> Very different, yeah. This is different than anything else I've written. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think of my career as having, like, many arms, and so this is my sci-fi arm. It's very cool. Very cool. They, it, so Lee, I got to ask you because, because now I've read uh, um, two different types of books that you, you write. What type of books do you like to read? Do you, and do you get a chance to read? <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I read a ton. I mean, especially over this last year in the absence of doing anything else. Like I, I just, I don't know, I read like two books a week. Um, so yeah, I read everything. I, I, I mean, I'm a thriller writer first, so I love great thrillers. Um, I love good science fiction. I read literary novels. Um, I have a YA series coming out, so I'll read YA every, YA every once in a while. Um, whatever captures my interest. Very cool. They, uh, you know, and it's, it's neat because, you know, it's, that thriller writer thing's there. It's definitely there because it, it, it's a page turner. So, you know, like I said, Orange City is a bit different setting from The Ancestor. I mean, what inspiration or muse did you have for Orange City? Yeah, so Orange City has had a very weird journey from start to finish. It was a short story I wrote in college. So I'm 20 years out of college. So this is a book that's been two decades, for better or worse, in the making. Um, but it, it didn't really have that many sci-fi kind of connections back then. Um, and it's just something I've put down, picked up, put down, picked up. It was a screenplay. It was another short story. Um, and I don't know, something has always kind of drawn me back to it. And every time I go back to it, the, the sci-fi aspect or the dystopian aspect becomes more and more and more um, until the, you know, the, the current book that you see before you. Very cool. The, uh, you, talk a little bit about how you built the world of Orange mm. City. I mean, after all, in The Ancestor, you're pretty much in our world you know, yeah. of, of current Earth type thing. And, right, uh, right. No, I'm not so sure about that with Orange City. At least I hope not. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I hope not either. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare version of, of, of the world. Um, I mean, with The Ancestor, you had sort of a flirtation with science fiction. Where there was a man frozen on ice, whether he actually was frozen on ice for 100 plus years. Um, that remains sort of up to the reader. Um, so it, it's a world where there's things going on that aren't uh, uh, things that we're sort of, you know, knowledgeable about in our world. Um, and with Orange City, yeah, it completely takes place in sort of a nightmarish futuristic version of this world. There's a terrible war. It kind of decimates the world. Um, and then the world is kind of left in tatters after that. And uh, a dictatorship kind of, you know, forms in power. And they create this city that basically is for people that they want to get rid of. So it's for outcasts. It's for felons. It's for the fringes of society. Um, and they're given sort of, you know, like, a, a, like an apple. They're like, here, um, you know, bite on this apple and come to the city and everything will be, you know, your past is eliminated. Um, but what the people don't know is that they're really then bound to the city forever. Um, and it's almost worse than the world left behind by, by the wars. Gotcha. And it's, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Once they experience that, that, that second chance, you're kind of wondering if, uh, you know, maybe I didn't want that second chance. <laughs> <a little> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's like a lot of things, you know, I, I'm always very fascinated by like cults and getting people at sort of their weakest. So the city is in, in of itself, like a giant cult, and it, it preys on these weak people, and it gets them at their sort of, you know, most desperate, and it scoops them up, you know, and, and, then basically enslaves them. 
Yeah, very much so. And it's, uh, this is the, the, a big part of it. Like I said, uh, from the beginning, it's, it's intriguing. It starts sucking you in because you start learning a little bit more about this. And you're like, what in the mm-hmm. world? Um, yeah. And uh, so nice job there. You know, part of, uh, part of the Orange City world is this. Uh, so I'm going to read from, uh, sure. uh, from Orange City. Since prisons were becoming overcrowded, the government was looking at different alternatives for a few selected felons. This was a decision that had to be made right away. What an intriguing thought that makes you want to find out what's going to happen to those who choose to take the deal. I mean, where'd this idea come from? Yeah, so that was the the idea of sort of the outside world was a, a later part of the of the story when I was creating it. The book really originally began in the city. It was only about the city. And it seemed too insular. Like, I, I felt like we needed to have some context of what was going on outside of it. Um, so the idea kind of later on in the drafts came where I added um, this war to end all wars and, and, and then these people who are kind of, like I said, scooped up and brought to the city. Um, so it was really like a, a last minute addition that wound up being a core concept of the book. Um, and it's hard to now, if I went back and looked at like a previous draft, it wouldn't even make sense. It, w- it would be a completely different book because it's changed so much since that. That's really, that's really neat understanding how this has evolved, that, yeah. uh, um, that that became something that you inserted into it. And like you said, it's, it's so different than what you start off with. I think my interest in science fiction has gotten more and more and more and more. So as, as my interest got more, I started plugging more of that into, into the book. Um, and I think for better, I, I think it, there was something that always wasn't working about it. And maybe that's why it took 20 years to write. I don't know. Uh, usually I'm pretty quick. Like I could write a book in six months to a year tops. Um, and you, maybe it's also science fiction. You're creating a world. So there's so much more that goes into it than when you're playing off of this world. Oh, I understand that. That's it's, it's cool. Cause uh, there's, you, you bring some of our own world into it or things yes. of the past and stuff like that. And we're going to get there. Sure. But it, and then, so it's just enough to, um, to, to, think about some of the themes that you might have going or whatever. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I, I gotta, I gotta say this. Okay. I'm a little afraid of uh, what type of nightmares you might have because, yeah. <laughs> because the yeah. man and his physical um, build, especially his face and you know, he has his problem about eyes. Uh, you know, th- these things come to mind immediately. There's some other spooky and creepy things here, but uh, can you talk about the characters that you've created? I mean, how do you develop them? Sure. Um, I'm a huge fan of art and um, the man kind of came from um, a bunch of Francis Bacon paintings that I had seen. I went, this was years ago, I believe it was at the Guggenheim, they had a, a, a retrospective of Francis Bacon and, and his stuff is so creepy and weird and just these disturbing images, but there's also like a beauty in it as well. Um, and that's how I look at the man too. I mean, the man, if you ask him, he would think he's beautiful. He's you know, shaped all these, he's basically become slender man. So he's elongated his body as much as possible. And through scientists and robotics added all of these extra limbs to kind of create himself into almost like a giant spider. Um, so I think if you asked him, he'd be like, I'm perfect. Um, but to everybody else, it's just this ominous presence that's always just kind of watching over the city. Um, and then there was this great movie, um, uh, Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal where he played kind of dual roles and a spoiler for the film that this giant spider at the end kind of takes over out of nowhere 
Um, so a lot of times my ideas, especially for things like this that are outside the world, it's like a mishmash of so many different I, I, art and film and, and they kind of mush together and kind of become my own creation. So that, that, that's a little bit what, what happened with um, some of the more out there parts of Orange City. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely out there, especially the, you know, the idea, because as you start to get to know the man, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, the, you really get a kind of a feel for what you're describing with these long arms reaching out in the hand and, and uh, you know, kind of, you know, I'm good. You don't need to touch me type thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, you, you want to stay as far away from him as possible. And from most of the, the citizens, they really never encounter him. He's only heard and shown on a video screen. So it's, it's this sort of, you know, um, separation. And I think that's what keeps him as kind of creepy and scary as possible. But at any minute, he could just pop up and be this like giant spider that's kind of like watching you. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's where he came from. And the cover too, the cover, they, they did such a good job. And um, it, it's, it's really a picture of like the man in his eye tower that looks out over this weird orange city. I love it. Cause it's just, uh, the, the more you find out, the more you want to know, which is really neat. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. The, uh, and that's going to take me to this. I, I love your imagery and, you know, and I'm going to read some segments from the book like, like this. He jumped into his suit and finally jetted out of the apartment. As the front door swung closed, he looked back longingly at the refrigerator that cooled his desires, his beautiful orangey bubbles, which he already desperately missed. Or how about this? Graham felt himself getting caught up in the man's twisted games, his psychological poisons. I mean, you do an awesome job of making the reader feel the scene. The reader feels the desire and sees what you've painted. How, did, how do you do this on purpose to make this happen? It just works. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really know. I, I kind <laughs> of just, I, I, I like to tell people when I'm really into like a scene and I'm writing and it's good. Um, and I've heard actually Stephen King say this. I just leave my body. So I, I don't know where I go. I, I, I go somewhere for a couple hours. And that's when I know it, it, it's really good. I have sort of the ability to just like go into a character for X amount of time and then say goodbye and leave and we take a break from each other. Um, so it, 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 it's hard. I, I don't have an exact answer as to how I'm able to do that. I've just always um, been lucky that, that I can. Well, you do an awesome job of it because it makes you, you really kind of get that. Uh, and I'll use an example, like the, the part I just read mm. from uh, um, about the orangey bubbles. I mean, the, there's this craving that the character desires. And before you know it, he's down in <laughs> just some enormous number of yeah. drinks. I will say this. Um, and and I, I, I was a, an undergrad teacher for about, about a decade and I'm just not doing it currently, but I, I taught writing. Um, and for... Um, like upcoming students, upcoming writers, uh, I would always tell them just to focus as much as possible on all of the senses. So when, when you're writing, make sure that your characters are seeing, they're feeling, they're smelling, they're touching, just as, as much as possible. You could always kind of edit it out um, to really kind of put yourself uh, for, for the reader into that scene as much as possible. So I think for, for, for budding writers, that, that, that's sort of a good thing to always think about. Um, and even to this day, I'm, I'm always like, well, did I capture the smell, the weather, the taste, the sensations, you know, all, all, all of that I think is so important. 
It's awesome because you, you did a great job. Now, it's not fair because there was a time in um, my early college days when I was kind of addicted to um, Fanta orange drink. And, uh, okay, yeah. and so I, I, I was on a trip. I was out west. I was in uh, um, actually Baylor, Texas. I'll never forget this. And I was, we, we were doing a lot of work in the heat and all this sort of stuff. And I was down in these orange drinks. And so it was neat because in the story so i already have kind of like this funny <laughs> you know what it's like to really want to drink a drink one or two at a time and mm. uh, or right after each other and the sweatiness of the bottles or the cans and and it just it just really fit so you sent me back to texas and is what okay. you did but uh, <laughs> but it was and it really that's what i mean by the the feel of it and the the thought and that desire that he had that it's you know, yeah, I mean, especially because you know, the, the other sort of big plot of, of, of the novel is Graham's an advertising executive. His client is a soda company. Um, so his whole world for that moment is, you know, tasting the sodas, coming up with ideas, and they start really messing with them as much as, much as possible. He, you know, there's an outlying conspiracy of it that he sort of that sort of gets revealed as the book goes on. Um, but at first, he's just having crazy emotions connected to the different colored drinks. So orange makes him very excited. Green makes him jealous, you know, et cetera. Blue makes him sad. Um, and so because that was so important uh, to the book, you really need to make the readers feel that they are tasting your soda um, and they're understanding his desire for it throughout. So um, taste was a huge kind of component. I hate soda. I don't drink soda. I, I actually am for years have been doing an, like a no sugar cleanse. Um, so I have, I consume very little sugar. Um, so the book is a little bit of like an anti-soda book. Cause I, I do think that especially Americans, Europeans just drink way too much soda and it's terrible for you. It's just pure sugar. And there's no, there's no health benefit to it at all. I was going to ask you if there's kind of a theme there that was going with this, because uh, it does feel like someone who's trying to say, you know, we drink a little much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I began it in college, I drank a lot of soda too. Um, and it's really just these last couple of years, but I think I've, I've just been hammering it home more because I just know for myself when I've cut it out, how much healthier I've, I've felt. Um, and, you know, I, I think there was like a study and on average there's people who drink like two liters of soda a day. I mean, it's insanity and it's obesity. And so, you know, I, I don't want to get on my hair horse and be like, everybody, <laughs> you know, drink soda. Um, but you, you really shouldn't have at least more than one a day. I mean, I would say like, if that's your addiction, like keep it to one. Gotcha. Well, just a side note, you do a good job of making you crave a soda during this. Right. This I've, had, I've had that response too. If you really <laughs> want it. So I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe if I wasn't so successful in that. I, I don't know, maybe like Coca-Cola could hire me. For like, <laughs> I, I think you got a place there, you know, cause it's like uh, suddenly I'm going and then you switch flavors. It's like, nice. Now I've got this other desire to, Hey, I've I had to... there's a blue raspberry flavor and they're like, Ooh, I've never heard that. That sounds amazing. I was like, well, all right. <laughs> exactly. See, so, yeah, you've, you've, you've found the magic <laughs> touch there with the. Yeah, maybe that was my MO all along. <laughs> That's funny. I'm overtly working for Pepsi. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That, that didn't, didn't see that coming. It's going to be uh, on the back of the bottles. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, you know, the, there's a constant feeling that some that someone else is in control. I mean, you have cameras, guards. I mean, the cafeteria at Wharton Mind and Donovan had been built with the intent to curb along lunches. I, by the way, I love this. <laughs> I love this whole cafeteria 
the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the thing there because talk about creating some more loneliness and misery. I mean, the characters are timed while they eat and warned if they stay too long. Nice. It's like, um, but if you think about it, a lot of corporate America is really the same. You have <laughs> X amount for lunch and then you're looked negatively upon if you leave your desk for that lunch in a lot of places. So people aren't literally chained to their desks, but you know, a lot of people are. Maybe that's something post-COVID in, in the world where people are working from home more. Maybe that'll change. But I mean, I know people who work for companies where they feel guilty when they don't, if, if they leave their desk. Um, so a lot of that came out. I, I mean, I've only very briefly worked in corporate America. I, I've really just had like a very, you know, sort of alternate path in terms of my um, work experience. Um, but the little that I, I had in it, um, I, I wasn't happy at all. Um, and I felt very stifled, um, especially in my creativity. Gotcha. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I love this, uh, this whole thing because I could, you know, it's the, always the feeling that uh, you're being watched and the idea that just the idea that uh, there's a little buzzer that goes off. We've been sitting there too long. So that means other people realize that you've been sitting there too long. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which means it's literally somebody's job to literally just monitor everybody and make sure <laughs> everybody is behaving exactly as possible. Yes. Um, I worked, I worked for someone one time. I, I like to say I learned from him what not to do when I became a principal. And uh, one of the things that he did was anybody who was late to the building, their name got circled in red, talking about adults, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so their name got circled in red. And by the way, it definitely dates me because most of this is technology related today. But in those days, it was actual sign-in sheet. And uh, if, you're, uh, if you were late, you got circled in red. And then in the afternoon, the uh, the secretary would read off these names. Uh, the following teachers need to see uh, need to come to the front office immediately after the buses leave, and they would read this list. Oh my god! <laughs> the kids knew. The kids knew exactly who those people were. Those are the teachers who were late. Oh, wow. it yeah, was, that's that's kind of not okay. <laughs> no, not at all. It was it was terrible. Like I said, I learned what not to do, but it was. It, it, this is what you had me thinking about here. That's what he was missing. He needed the thing in the lunchroom saying, "You've been eating too long." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had an experience right after college. I worked for a production company. It was an abusive. It would not, the environment now would not exist. I mean, we were fully abused. I had a chair thrown at me. Um, oh my gosh. But I had a, a, a boss. He was nuts. And he would, our, my desk faced his office. And sometimes his door would stay open a crack. And I would just see his eye like, <laughs> watching me. Because oh I had gosh. to make like 100 calls a day. Like that was my, you know, and he'd be like, did you get your 100 calls? 100 calls, you know. So I, I don't know if that weaved into the book somehow, but it, it, it definitely was um, it, a very like oppressive atmosphere to be in and, and to have that be your life. That would, that would drive you nuts, especially. Yeah, luckily the whole company folded and I was only there for three months. So it wasn't that <laughs> There you go. That, oh my gosh. And that it was experienced in three months. That's, that's even worse. It's like, yeah. like it, it was like right after college and it was like, this is what work is. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and I've never had a bad experience like that again. So it was, it was just an outlier. That's cool. <laughs> Boy, that would be rough. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was that, uh, you know, this is, you kind of have this, this big brother watching your theme or mm. are there's, themes that you kind of want to talk about that are that are there that uh, I mean because we have this possibility of whether soda is bad or <laughs> or you should drink it yeah, that you have yeah. going <laughs> yeah I mean I think there's definitely uh, you know bigger themes than that uh, that that that's sort of a minor theme 
Um, you know, some of it is, is sort of tech related. We are watched in a much more omnipresent way than we ever have been before. And a lot of it's our own undoing, you know, like we're on a million social media platforms and we put ourselves out there. So somebody literally knows where you are at every second and you have a cell phone that tracks you, you know, so there's, there's that atmosphere. But I mean, at the same time, I'm not like anti-tech or anything. And I've, I've had some some comments where like, that's the thing that they focused on. Like this is an anti-tech book. And so the book is really about how easily your, our democracy could be stolen um, and, and, and taken away. Um, and I, I hope that's what keeps it lasting, that, that, that that's always a threat that could happen. We've, we had that threat and that threat could happen again. Very interesting. Very interesting. Cause it's a, it's a, you, you know, it's, it's definitely a feel in there that you would not want this world to happen. <laughs> so. no, no, no. In, in a lot of ways that, you know, all kind of great dystopian, you know, Handmaid's Tale and, 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 and all these, all these sort of dystopian books that are coming out where you naturally just equate it to your present time. You know, you could always see sort of, you know, similarities and inferences that, that connect them. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I think that, uh, and especially since I've read, uh, I've read another of your, your previous books, the, uh, um, you, you do a great job of making dialogue feel real. Thank you. And, uh, and the, I mean, you feel intensity, you feel sadness, you feel, mm-hmm. I mean, and it feels like the people are talking to each other. Um, so what do you do to try and, I mean, do you have a way that you try and make sure that it sounds like it does or do you? Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in New York City. I've lived here my whole life. I'm surrounded by just constant conversations of the most wildly diverse people since I was a baby. Um, and I think that's been the, the number one thing that's helped me write dialogue so well. It, it's just so natural. You know, I, I step outside. It's a million conversations all the time, even in the pandemic. Like, right. it never stops here. I live in Midtown. Um, so I, I think I've just been really blessed that, that from an early age, um, I picked up a really great ear to, to hear people, um, and, 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 and to mimic, you know, how, how they talk as much as possible. Dialogue's my favorite thing to write and I write screenplays as well. So it's the easiest thing that comes to me. Um, and you know, on, uh, if I could just write a book that was all dialogue, it, that would be so much easier and having to add like all, you know, description, all these extra stuff. So I'll, I'll write scripts as almost like a palate cleanser between novels, um, just to, um, and, it, and it actually helps punch up my dialogue in, in my books when I do it. That's cool. Cause that's, uh, you know, it's very noticeable. I mean, because you, yeah. you, you, you quickly feel like you're part, you know, I read lots of books. I read mm-hmm. lots mm-hmm. and uh, um, nonfiction as much as fiction and I'm yeah. and visit lots of worlds and all kinds of stuff like this. And, and, uh, and, you know, and it's, it, I hate to say this, but there are some books where it's so oh, yeah. thick and heavy yeah. and you're like, you're like, Oh my gosh, this doesn't even feel like I'm, I've even know any of these characters until about page 100. And you're like, yeah. I mean, for me, bad dialogue is the number one thing that either ruins like a book or a TV. Like I, I, I just can't get into it. If, if the dialogue isn't believable even the most out there things, you know, the, the, there's, you know, if you think like Blade Runner, like that doesn't exist, but like dialogue's fantastic, you know, so you don't need to just only exist in reality to have amazing dialogue. Um, and I think that's, you know, a, a case for, for science fiction dystopian books too. 
It's, it really is. And especially in that type of where it's a world that you're not really, you know, cause you know, it's kind of cheating sometimes when you are in our world. And so you, you can kind of in your own brain uh, fill in the gaps and yeah, say, yeah. Whereas, and the dialogue's really tricky with Arn City because a lot of times the characters aren't saying what they really want to say. So, it, and, and this also may, may be why the book take, took me so long to write. Um, there definitely were drafts where there was a lot more said and then ultimately a lot was cut because they're afraid of, you know, the cameras or reactions or nobody could be themselves in Orange City. So they're putting on a front of who they want people to perceive them as where in actuality what's going on in their heads is, is, is very different. So it was a very tricky balance, I think, for the dialogue in this one, especially. I can see that, especially with uh, a couple of characters who have some serious uh, arcs, some changes that take place yeah, in, yeah. in their thinking. And, um, and, you know, and so it's, uh, but I, I gotta tell you, it's really, it, for being such a different world, it is a, you're quickly able to, you know, the dialogue with the characters makes you, it makes it easy to, awesome. to escape into it. So good stuff. You know, um, one of the things that I, I want to talk about without giving too much away is that, you know, like you have a character named Graham and one named E that they really come a long ways. There's some things yeah. that happen yeah. in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this character, Graham, he definitely grows and changes. Was this part of your story from the beginning or did it just happen? Yeah. So, so Graham is the one thing that's been in the story from the very beginning. You know, the original story was just about him as a struggling advertising executive. Um, so he's been really the through the, the E character was his boss. He used to actually be called Mr. E. So he was like a mystery and I don't know. Oh, a nice. Little, <laughs> a little too on the nose. I felt. Um, yes. And, and so I had an editor that was like, nah, don't do that. Um, and I think I wisely listen. Uh, so he was in it, but he didn't really have an arc. He just was sort of like an abusive boss. Um, and the story really changed where the opening section, the first 30 kind of pages, um, becomes E's story. And he's your introduction into the city. And Graham is a side character. And then he kind of takes over the novel. Um, so it, 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 was, it was a choice I made that I hadn't really seen done before. But I kind of like breaking the rules sometimes. I had people be like, no, Graham's the main character. You should start with him. And, and I'm like, the book is so out there and weird. And like, I'm not expecting this to sell to like a huge public, you know. So like, I'm just going to do what I want with it. Um, so I like that it, it begins with E and he really has a full arc. You know, he, you hate him at the beginning, even though you sympathize with him a little bit. Um, and I think by the end, you really sympathize with him. I think he really grows on you as a person. He grows as a person. He does. I mean, this is it. And it was, a that was a complete surprise. I, I kind of, yeah. I, th- you know, I thought that E was just going to be the, the bad guy that makes you then feel better for the, yeah, the yeah. good guy type thing. And, uh, instead it's not that's not how you did that. And uh, it was nice. I mean, it was very good. And I, like you said, I, th- I thought the whole thing was going to be e-, e story. It's right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I kind of will like all it, it's like expect the unexpected almost in, uh-huh. in the book. Um, uh, and I think that that, 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 that's a perfect example that it, 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 it takes a pivot after the first section that you don't quite expect. Yeah. I like it. It works. It works very well. Cool. Cool. And, awesome. it's, and especially then the whole shifting while you get on without saying, but as you get on through the book, then it's like, it's really, yeah, well done. Well done. I, now I'm stuck with the Mr. E in my stuck in my head. 
Maybe another book, but yeah, it's, I don't know. Some, sometimes when things are so on the nose, like mystery, he's a mystery. Um, I think in my, you know, 20 year old brain, that was like, oh my God, I'm so brilliant. And in my 40 year old brain, I was like, nah, that's a little too much. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that 20 year old brain. Yeah, that's, this yeah. is awesome. <laughs> like, <nah. laughs> um, well, great stuff. It, you know, and I, I'm, getting close to wrapping up, but I, I cut out a question that I'm going to come back and I'm going to add it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> because one of the things that's, that's neat to me is that not only is dialogue important, but when people have action, sometimes they, the action doesn't work because they don't, I'm not sure they, they, you know, it's, it's almost like someone said, you know, this is a little boring scene here. We got to add something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that's not the way at all, at all in your books. It, it develops and, uh, and then works very well. You feel like you're in it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do something to kind of make action scenes work better uh, to practice or, I mean, what yeah, do you do? I think actually action scenes are the hardest to write. Um, and the, the, this, the trick in it is like, you just always want to make sure things are moving forward. They're, they're believable. That's important, but that the action is just moving forward. So you're, you want the reader to just turn that page, turn that page, turn that page. Um, and obviously you can't have a book that's just like only action. So you have to make sure it's, it's peppered sort of in the right places. Um, and, you know, I think in Orange City, it's sparing, you know, it's like that action comes and it's, it's a force when it, when it comes. So you're that much more drawn into it rather than if the whole book was like, you know, action from start to finish. It's the same in great action films. You know, you, you have your, you know, my favorite film is Terminator 2. I think that's the sort of perfect action film, just the perfect film in general. Um, nice. But half of the film is, you know, the characters and their journeys and you feel for them. And the action set pieces are really kind of, you know, placed in the proper times, you know, when, when, so that, you know, the, the film has hills and valleys. I like that. And it works because it's, yeah. uh, I mean, you, you feel like it's really happening and that's what's, mm-hmm. what's nice. It's not forced. And by the way, you just made me go, hmm, I'm going to have to go back and watch Terminator 2. Always, always. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I feel like I talk about it way too much always on like any podcast I do. I'm like, Terminator 2 is amazing. It just <laughs> Nice. I, I will have to go check it out again. So, uh, the, uh, uh, well, you know, one of the things, uh, Lee, that I want to uh, do here is because uh, we're getting close to finishing up. Yeah, before we conclude, uh, care to give a look at the upcoming sequel, Lemon World? Yeah, so I have some ideas for it. I haven't written it yet. Um, and a lot has to do with what becomes of this book. Um, I've published with traditional publishers my whole life. This is with a hybrid publisher, so I own all the rights. So there's potential for it to sell to a bigger publisher. So that's the next step for Orange City. My agent is going to go out with it. Um, if obviously it gets taken, I'll write that sequel right away. Um, if not, I don't, I, I don't know when Lemon World will come. I have a few other projects that, that I have to get to first. Um, but it would take place in a, a different city um, with many kind of different facets to it. And it would have more of like an apoc- apocalyptic feel to it. Um, and instead of a man, there would be a woman who rides around in a giant lemon nice nice the uh she's, just the, a, she's the big bad in in, in in lemon world yeah she polices the city in gotcha. a floating lemon and by the way choosing fruit that has nice sensations and stuff like this just <laughs> i find myself going 
Wow. Um, I'm feeling kind of orangey and yeah. limey and lemony. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a really cool song by the group The National called Lemon World. So that was where that title came from. It's, ah, gotcha. it's all the National. Yeah, I, I just took it from them. Very cool. Very cool. Well, coming forward once you get all that other stuff worked out. So good stuff. Uh, how about you want to say anything about your YA book coming out? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very, very excited um, about a series I have coming out. It'll be my first young adult series. Um, and the first book is called Runaway Train. And it's about this girl who's, uh, she's 16. Her, her sister dies of a brain aneurysm and she just goes off the rails. Her, her family life is out of control. And she has a fierce love of grunge music. The book takes place in the 1990s. Um, and her dream is to uh, meet Kurt Cobain and become a grunge singer. So she runs away from home to go to Seattle to try to meet Kurt Cobain. And each chapter is a song in the mixtape that she would give to her sister. So each song is a different grunge song that kind of encapsulates her experience. Um, so it's a very kind of, you know, sweet story. Um, it's really, really different from everything I wrote. It's in the voice of a 16-year-old girl. Um, uh, uh, but I think it's one of my favorite things that I've done. And, and I'm, I'm really excited for the series. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, and, and like before, I mean, you have a website and, uh, um, is that where you want to, you want to talk a little bit about your website and, uh, um, and uh, where people can reach out to contact you or find out more. Yeah. So my, my website um, is leemathiegoldberg.com. Just my name.com. Um, and you can find out about, I, it actually reminds me I have to update it, um, but you can find out about all my works and buy links to all the books. I mean, the books are anywhere you, you want to get books, you know, Amazon bookshop. Um, if you want to go into a bookstore these days, go into a bookstore and, and, and ask them for it. Um, and then, yeah, I'm on all the socials. Um, I'm Lee Matthew G on Twitter, uh, Lee Matthew Goldberg on Instagram, find me on Facebook. Um, and yeah, say hi. Very cool. And I will have all those links in the show notes so that people can find you there. And, uh, I, I, you know, one, I want to ask you one more question and, yeah. uh, it goes like this. Um, if you get an idea to write about, what do you do to make it become concrete, you know, real? I mean, That's a great question. Um, uh, so, a lot of times an idea will sit in my head sometimes for like a year um, and it just kind of hangs out there. And then when I'm ready, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll write like a full outline. Um, and then when I really feel ready, I'll, I'll, I'll just start the book. Then after you finish it, there's the whole other annoying process where you have to sell the book. Um, so that's, that's always um, a, a challenge and usually I have an agent, it goes to my agent, my agent then sends it out to editors, editors decide if they want to buy it or not. Um, and, and, and then there's the, the potential for, you know, where the book can go from there um, in terms of other media. Um, so it's a really long process, but I, th I think if you have an idea and, and, and you want to write it, just, you know, whatever works for you, sit down and, and, and just get it down and you never know what might happen. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. The, uh, you know, uh, Lee, it's awesome catching up with you again. Orange City yeah. is captivating and a page turner. And, um, you know, from the offering of something other than the prison sentence to the strange orange sodas to the job roles of the characters and so much more, you've created a fascinating world, you know, that I can't wait to see what, find out what happens next. I wish you the best in all you do. Thanks. And thanks again for having me, Stephen. Uh, always fun to come in and, and hang out here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here.
Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.